Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. This week, our guest is Cameron from KG Woodcraft, and he tells us all about his carving art using antlers, chainsaws, wood, and ice. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey, guys. Hey. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> so what have we been up to, Dean? Um, Memorial Day weekend this past weekend. Oh, yeah. So I kind of did some automobile stuff this weekend. Uh, pulled my car out the garage, rotated tires, cleaned underneath, and then went for some joy rides. Nice. That was about the majority of my uh, my Maker weekend. I watched um, Only Murderers in the Building, that show with uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin, who I've seen in concert, one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Really? Him the, yeah. Him oh, and the Steep Canyon Rangers. banjo? Yeah, playing yeah. the banjo. And then Edie Brickell sung on the album that was out at the time. And she's married to Paul Simon, I believe. And so oh, nice. Paul Simon came out and played with Steve Martin and Edie Brickell and the Steep Canyon Rangers. But uh, that's been a few years ago, but it was a great concert. But yeah, so worked on the car a lot. And then I think that's it. It's college softball championship week right now. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of softball on over here. You know, my wife just <laughs> constantly watching softball, sending me texts about things that I don't really care about. You know, if I was in there just watching a bunch of 20 year old girls run around, she'd ask questions, but uh, <laughs> you know, double standard for everybody. Um, outside of that, I, uh, I don't know what else I did this weekend. Was I making fires when, uh, oh, that's right. I turned some more bowls. I power carved some more bowls this weekend. Oh, nice. And then, made a bonfire that lasted basically three days so are the ones that you turned are did you like full turn them or just like do like part up partial yeah, so turning what it is these are pieces that were outside so when i had the plumbing issues i had a oh, bunch yeah. of pecan pieces in the bathtub of my shop well the bathtub backed up so it these sat in water for a few days until i found them because uh, the shower curtains closed i didn't know what was going on so I had them outside because they were all nasty and I tried cleaning them with bleach, you know, kill the mold, stuff like that. But I just wasn't going to bring them back inside. So they've been outside for probably a year, maybe more than that. Um, kind of undercover, but just exposed. So there were rotten parts. There were parts that have cracked and checked. So what I did, I just took a chalk pencil and traced, okay, this is still good wood. Cut it on my bandsaw. That goes into the fire pile. And then I go, okay, what can I do with this shape? So I did one bowl that's kind of like, uh, I started trying to carve like a really big bowl and it had a crack I didn't see. And so it cracked. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do like a ledge. And this could be like where you set the mail. And then here's where you can oh. put your keys. So it'll kind of be a combo thing. And then I've got one that looks like a giant tomahawk uh, s- steak. Like it's just got a real beefy handle with a bowl. And I don't know. I'm just kind of letting the wood tell me what it wants to be. And that's we'll see. Cool. It's just for fun. So your power, that's all power carving. Yeah, which it's fun, but man, it throws up some dust. And uh, I, the whole time I'm doing it, I'm like, I could just put this on the CNC and not have to stand out here carving the whole time. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how you can do that without that mask. It'll be interesting talking to our right. guest tonight who does all this carving, you know, how he handles his PPE and stuff. But um, And then, uh, oh, I forgot Saturday, I went to that motorcycle slow race. So, yes. yeah, that's what... Um, <laughs> That's what kind of helped me get back into the, I went to that and I was upset that I didn't drive my car. Like I was like, man, it would have been nice to have my car out here because air-cooled Porsches and motorcycles kind of go hand in hand. And so uh, it, what it was, it was, they had a free barbecue, free beer, draft beer. They had a, a local guy there playing guitar. So he had like a little stage set up and then they just did a tournament style and all these people had these motorcycles out there. There were crotch rockets and big Harleys and little bitty Hondas and all kinds of stuff, uh, scooters, Vespas. And they just had kind of like a start line and then a feet up line. So they'd say start, mm-hmm. you'd have to go and you could go as slow as you wanted. But when you got to the first cone, your feet couldn't touch anymore. And then you had to make it to the end of the driveway. So it was probably about 50 feet. Uh, and the last person to cross was the winner. Or if the if you put your feet down, it was an automatic disqualification. So it, there were some that were neck and neck. And what was interesting too is the driveway kind of had a slope so each side of the track had a slope down to the natural drainage of the driveway. So it was interesting seeing like people would look fine, but when they'd have to turn to go back uphill or go downhill, they'd start shaking or they'd have to speed up. 
And uh, some of it wasn't fair. Some of the bikes were automatics or they just were sequential oh. clutches. So you only really had to worry about the brake. Uh, but other ones, you had to keep them revved up high enough where they wouldn't die. And you had the clutch that you had to pull in and out. Uh, and then you had the brake and you, it was pretty complex, but it was a really neat little event. Cool. I thought I enjoyed those clips that you put on there. And it was interesting because some of them had like, they had a legit like plan or theory or whatever as to how they were doing it. They were kind of like swerving back and forth, yeah. you know, helped them stay up and took them longer to get down to the end. And it seemed like the bikes that were more like low rider kind of things, you know, fatter tires, that kind of thing. They did better. The heavier they bikes. They did better. Yeah. So there was so, a guy with a BMW yeah. bike with saddlebags. And when he saw how well the bigger bikes were doing, he was like grabbing anything he could to load up weight in the saddlebags to try yeah. it, which I, I could see you falling over. I didn't stay till the very end. Just I watched around and then I was on my bicycle. So I rode my bicycle home, but um, I could see it working until it didn't work. You know, that mm -hmm. much weight, whenever it went wrong, it went really wrong. Yeah, once you get past the apex, it's yeah, not not advantageous anymore. They had some scooters I thought would have done better, but they really just couldn't, surprisingly, didn't do well in the slow speed. Like, they either wanted to go or not go. There was no kind of in-between for the scooters. And one guy, I thought he was just going to wear out his brake. I mean, you could you could just see it eating the <laughs> brake pad up. Um, he was holding it down so hard. And I'm trying to think there was something else. Oh, this was kind of neat. There was a guy I met years ago in the Porsche club because I had one of those Harbor Freight trailers that I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this trailer and this is going to be my wood go getter trailer. And I never used it. Two years, I never used it. So I sold it to him because he said he was going to get a motorbike and he wanted to tr build a trailer for it. Well, he was there with the motorbike. I haven't seen him in four or five years. And, uh, they announced the next racer and I go, son of a bitch, that's, that's my guy right there. And so it was nice. I walked over and talked to him for a while. We caught up a little bit. His, he was there with his dad. Um, but he was, he's a big old guy, like Austin size. And he was on a little bitty, like he loves stuff from like the sixties and seventies. He was on this yeah. early seventies Honda, just enduro doing his best, but he, he was there to have fun. And that's what it was about. Yeah. Like that's a gorilla cool. on a tricycle. I put on all my turquoise <laughs> jewelry trying to fit in, but I didn't wear enough black. <laughs> Apparently, like motorcycle people are all black. All every woman there had a black tank top on and jeans. And all the dudes, you either had a black shirt and your hair slicked back, showing off all your tattoos, or uh, you had on denim on denim with some you know Wolverine boots or something. And I was in my <laughs> dad new bounces, some uh, shorty shorts, and all my turquoise <laughs> necklaces. Yeah, they, they probably thought I was with this mustache. They probably thought I was looking for a different kind of ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been up to Austin. Uh, so we did uh, the Memorial Day Parade, which is like all the fire department and stuff down at the beach at my in-laws house. That parade wasn't for your birthday? Nope. Believe it or not, it was not for my birthday. Um, <laughs> but it it, uh, it was cool. I saw one of my buddies that I haven't seen him in like 20 years. He happened to park in front of my in-laws house and he was he works for the fire department. And his new job is that all he does is fly drones at every call. So as soon oh. as they like, he follows the, 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 um, cause it's a beach community down there. So he's actually in like a, uh, one of those Kawasaki side-by-sides. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he actually drives just that. And so they'll go to the call with a ladder truck and then he'll pull up behind them and he just launches immediately, immediately. So it's like swimmer in distress or anything like that. Like he's, he's up in the air and there's, that's like a wildlife preserve back behind their house. Like they're on the the sound side. And so they'll fly up and locate wildfires and stuff like that using the drones, which I thought was pretty cool. He was actually just cool. using the, uh, like a DGI. Like that's, that's what he was using. Oh, but, okay. um, that was pretty cool. And, um, man, it's, uh, I had like a super awkward moment where like, I know his first name. I've known him for 20 years. Yeah. Hey, Bubba. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew his name. Like I, his name's Kevin. And so ben, I was like, Benjamin, come here. I want you to meet my friend. And so when I introduce my, my kids to people, I always say their last name. I'm like, this is Mr. Blah, blah, blah. And I just could not remember his name. And so I'm like, like I, I had like a pause. And then, so I just have to think about that for the rest of my life where I just was like super awkward. And like, <laughs> Wait, so you said when you introduce your friends to your kids, you introduce them by the last name? I'd introduce, I'm like, Benjamin, this is Mr. Worst. Mr. Smith. You called me Mr. Or, yeah. Dean. So are we not friends? 
Well, it's different because he's like, he sees you all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I shorten it. It depends. And if you get real close, (laughs) you're called uncle. Oh, so like Nick is uncle Nick. Uncle Nick. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I'm trying but, to remember what you introduced me as. Did I get, did I get. Miss I think Christine? by the time you got there, I was like, you probably I got met the him. same time as Dean did. I was there two years ago. Oh, you were there yeah, a year, the year before. before. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And I think, cause like you guys showed up and, um, you know, I wasn't with the kids. Like Jamie was handling it. That's right. So. Jamie. Had That's, okay. Fine. Fine. Yeah. I think you did <laughs> say Mr. Marvin though. I think you did say Mr. Marvin. So. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have a pattern. It's just how it works out. But anyways, so like, you know how you have those awkward moments where you're like, oh, great. I get to think about this for the rest of my life. Like, because I'm like, now he thinks I don't know his name. Obviously, I know his name. I've known him for freaking 20 years. But anyways, um, so we did that. And then uh, I got my new welder, which is killer. I got my prime weld uh, TIG 225X. And so I've been playing with that. I've been now I'm shooting a YouTube video. Which is like my first a YouTube full video. One? Yeah, like yeah. A full one? Wow. Like a, like a long form video. It's very weird. Like I had to try to relearn how to use my camera, <laughs> like all the settings and stuff. Cause it's been like a year since I've done yeah. it. That's pretty bad. Relearn your settings. I, I mean it took me like freaking two days to find my batteries for the camera. Like the the rechar- you know, the the Panasonic batteries. I had no idea where they were. One of the kids that works for me, we we're trying to do this team building stuff, and so we've started a tuesday team lunch so you don't have to but if you want to eat with everybody on tuesday we can do it and i said hey man it'd be great if one of these tuesdays instead of us just sitting around a table why don't you teach us old people how to you know iphone photography or or you're in all this tech stuff you got all these cameras and he was mortified he was like i don't know what to do what we talked was like maybe show them how you can use your apple watch as a remote for your iphone and use it to click pictures so you can be in the frame he's like wait it can do that and I was like, that's right. The 40-year-old just taught the 20-year-old something about technology. Wow. He had, he had no idea. That's funny. It's uh <laughs> yeah, but that's pretty much what I what I've been working on and uh and, and doing in the shop. What about you there, Miss Christie? Well, the thing that I accomplished that everybody has to like stop fussing oh, right. me about now. <laughs> I got my tree done for the treescape. And, um, you know, cause I hit, I was looking at, I was trying to come up with something extremely unusual, blah, blah, blah. Last week when we were um, talking about it. And then I looked at what Emmett had posted, which was the collection of trees that he has so far. And everything was so like non-traditional tree, which is great. Cause there's some amazing pieces in there, but I'm like, you know, maybe I will go a little more traditional looking than not um and so actually marvin did his first on saturday sunday i don't remember which monday i don't know one of the days over the weekend and he left the bark on his so actually it's it's very different but it's um kind of a little more traditional maybe looking because it is a turned walnut piece but the top is rough bark Um, And then I used a chunk off of the same piece that he used, which was we had milled from the farm uh, May 2020. So, um, so, yeah, I turned it. Originally, I was going to wrap the trunk in twine. Right. But but then and then have the top be just, you know, the walnut top. And then I was like, well, I don't want just like a plain plumb bob looking top so then i put the little grooves in it and um so i showed it to marvin and i'm like well i put these grooves in it so it doesn't look necessarily like a christmas tree but just kind of gives it a little something um and he goes well why don't you just wrap the twine in those grooves and i was like yes it gave it a good texture yeah yeah kind of gave it a little different something and then there's twine in it so um I glued my fingers a zillion six waves from Sunday with uh, with this with the um, CA glue and the accelerator. Got myself a little high, probably off the accelerator as well, <laughs> and uh, and then peeled off a lot of skin as I tried to get the um, get the glue off of my fingers the next day. But uh, but yeah, I was I was real tickled with it. And then I didn't put the twine around the trunk because 
I kind of felt like that would kind of take away because I was real happy with like the curve of yeah, the trunk the how right I had call. done it. Yeah. So uh so yeah, they're both finished and both posted. So um so yeah, they uh they accomplished. Are, Yes. Well, I haven't shipped them yet because I need to find the right box. We did a big purge of all of our Walmart or all of our Amazon boxes and all of our those kind of boxes because there's a little recycling station in town. So I'm going to have to probably buy a little box at UPS or, or USPS or something. You know, obviously I want them to be in, in real good shape. Yeah. Or in mean, the worst case, you can ball it up in some bubble wrap and then put it in a bubble mailer. Like if it's got enough bubble wrap, it ain't going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my main project on, I think it was Monday that we did that. And then I'd worked on the coffee table a little bit too. And now I have a due date. I'm delivering it June 24th. So I tend to work better with a due date. And so now I'm like, all right, three weeks. Yeah. And so, um, you'll never finish. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will. I and it's it is funny because you know we'll of all see. people, yeah, you know that gets me more motivated than any other. I don't know. I see Anybody's... a lot of stories talking. I don't see a lot of stories making. We'll see. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go out there after we finish tonight. Now, um... <laughs> real quick, one more about the the guy at work. He sits right next to me, and he says, uh, "Yesterday, he goes." Man, you just like messing with me. I don't ever know if you're being serious or not. I said, everything I say is serious. You may think it's so offensive that it's a joke. It's all serious. Like everything I tell you, I'm 100% serious about. Tonight, our guest on the podcast is Cameron Garby from KG Woodcraft. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourselves? Good, man. Good. Cameron, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, Well, my name's Cameron. I'm Canadian carver, sculptor, maker. Uh, I'm really into antler, ice, chainsaw carving, um, anything 3D I can get my hands on. I'm really inspired to, to, to make and uh, making ideas come to life. Yeah, and so you've got a website, and it's got that on it. Antler carving, chainsaw carving, wood carving, wood mosaics. Why don't we kind of go one at a time and just talk about what that means and, and how those how that process works for you? And we'll start with antler carving. You'll go alphabetically. What the hell is antler carving? Uh, well, predominantly I'm working with moose antler. Uh, so just the paddles off of the moose, they drop seasonally. So you can actually find natural sheds uh, if you go out hiking enough. Uh, I haven't been that fortunate to actually find some myself, but uh, I do a lot of trades with hunters, guides, uh, a lot of retired guys do it as hobby uh, just to go out and collect the sheds. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll have the full paddle, which can be anywhere from 12 inches across to sometimes they can be over three feet tall. Wow. And, and what uh, are you carving on them? Like God bless the USA or? Uh, rarely, rarely. Oh, okay. Uh, if you missed my introduction there, but I'm the one who's up north. Um, not yeah. Normally, just wildlife inspired pieces. Um, my first ones were very camping orientated. I uh, like having, almost like trying to pull from my memory of uh, overnight hike I did somewhere and um, put a little tent on a cliff with a deer across the valley and try and create a whole scene. And, uh, yeah, I'm usually looking at a few reference photos and, um, start sketching on the paddle with pencil before going over that with Sharpie. And so that's the process, you know, you're dealing with a monochromatic material. It doesn't have multicolors or anything like that. And you say, I'm going to start with a pencil get my idea, then I'm going to go to a Sharpie. And then how do you start removing material and how do you build in depth and texture to something like that? Right. Yeah. That's something that's actually just really challenging with antler is uh, just how white it is once you dig into it. So um, I feel like most sculpture is, is a game of shadows and you're, you're trying to create that depth, uh, which in other mediums is a little bit easier 
but with all that white, it's just eating your shadows. So there's a lot of back cutting required and um, being very particular about your point of view, like the perspective that the viewer is seeing the piece. Uh, it's you, you can't keep changing your focus as you're carving it. Oh yeah, that makes sense. You, you have to make sure you're always looking at it straight on because it's it's only three quarters of an inch of material. Um, and then yeah, going back to how I start sketching, uh, I'll sometimes run a side grinder down across it to get that brown off of it. Sure. Uh, so mm. It's just a little bit easier to start sketching on with a regular pencil. Does the antler kind of change density or ability to carve as you go deeper into it or get past that outer shell? I mean, I've never carved anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, sometimes uh, I find uh, every antler carves a little bit different or has um, different colors. Sometimes they're a little bit marbled. And I think that's just going to come down to the health, the age or the diet of the animal. Sure. Uh, that season. And, uh, yeah, when I start carving, I'm using, um, I've got two Fordham carvers. I got a square drive and then a key drive. Um, and I usually use the square drive for roughing out, uh, my pattern I actually is really cheap. Um, those roto zip bits for cutting drywall. Sure. Yeah. Um, I started oh, yeah. using, I started using those similar to how you'd use a scroll saw to cut out your negative space. Yeah. And then I switched to my uh, key drive Fordham and that when I start using carbide bits to to remove the material and start bringing my design together. So when you're doing your design, are you kind of starting with like the deepest area first and and like singling that out or what's your process as far as like the different layers? Uh, I, I think I usually start, no, I would start in the foreground, uh, and as I'm carving back, because you have to, you have to create some of that depth where you're carving in. So I feel like the pieces that are in the background or behind something, um, I'm carving what's in front of it first. And then once that depth has been created, I'll actually start drawing again, um, in the background and then keep carving that in. Very cool. but, but, but with antler, I feel like depending on the design, of course, you can really, I'm going to do this tree up here on the top, right. And then, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to put a little squirrel down here. It's just like, <laughs> you feel like Bob Ross sometimes just you can <laughs> jump, jump a lot of happy accidents. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. on a material like this, how do you finish this? How do you preserve an antler? How do you, yeah, what do you do when you're done and how do you display it? Uh, to finish it, I use a gloss medium varnish, um, similar to what I believe painters use for sealing an acrylic painting. Hmm. Um, and the, the gloss gives it a little bit of almost when you're like, you're creating those shadows with the back cuts. I feel like that gloss gives it that extra highlight for when the light hits it but as far as displaying uh more often than not i like putting it on a nice piece of walnut base um sometimes i'll keep the paddle as one entire piece sometimes i'll actually cut off the lower stump uh and front tine and i find those ones uh they sit nicer on a shelf and they're a little bit more client friendly as far as potential display options. Like they're a lot easier to throw on a mantle if they've just secured on a small walnut uh, pedestal versus an entire paddle. How do you attach it with glue or how is it attached to that? Uh, yeah, you mix up a five minute epoxy uh, pre-drill uh, and then use wood screws through the bottom of it. Oh, cool. So my last thing on the antlers before we move on to another one of your crafts is, is there one that you've done that just stands out that when you finished it, you were like, wow, this one's just really special. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I did two elk battling, uh, in they're standing in the middle of a river and their antlers are interlocked and they're battling it out 
in the middle of this river. And I've, I think it's one of the most challenging carves I've done in Antler uh, because it's like antler inception, but yeah, um, antler and antler. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, their antlers were just such a head spin trying not to carve the wrong pieces and getting them overlapped properly without uh without accidentally cutting the wrong piece off is <laughs> is a pretty stressful process, but just so rewarding to see it, it is. finished. Yeah, I just found it yeah. October of last wow. year. Really cool. Mm-hmm. So I noticed on some of your wood carving, you're actually staining or coloring it. Have you ever tried any stains with the antler? Like, does it accept stain? It does accept stain. And uh, I know quite a few people will paint or airbrush them. Mm. Um, Not something I've really played around with. And I find it's just personal preference, but I just find on such a, a thin medium and how much time and effort you put into carving all that depth in. I feel like when you stain and paint it, when I look at it, I just, I lose the carving. It's, Mm. I feel like you could have just not carved it and just painted it to begin with. But that's like, I don't mean, just seeing it in pictures versus seeing pieces in person is always completely different. Of course. But that's cool. And then some of the pieces you've carved and you kind of, you carve it so thin that it's, it's almost backlit. Um, so when you're carving those, are you using it like a light table, like putting a bright light behind it so you can, cause obviously you don't want to carve all the way through, like that would ruin the, the piece. Was that the technique that you're using? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've got three fully flexible lamps around my work desk usually. So, um, usually one's always situated exactly how, ideally the piece would be lit when it's on display and then i'm and then i'm playing around with the other lamps just to help me while i'm carving and then my final question how do you deal with the awful smell of antler (laughs) 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 yeah you know uh i remember posting my first antler carving on instagram and then uh, that was i was just complaining about the smell of it and then uh some very established antler carver commented was just congratulating me on my efforts. And he said, you may, you know, you may not believe me now, but you will get used to it. And, uh, and, and he's very right. I, uh, I'm always masked up, but when I take my mask off, I rarely even notice it anymore, but, um, ask my girlfriend, she'll tell you a very different story. (laughs) Well, I want to dig in on the the chainsaw carving and in particular the seahorse that it looked like you traveled to. So I'm kind of curious, what is it like traveling with chainsaws mm-hmm. uh, to go do a project like that? So I was kind of curious. It looks like you're on the beach somewhere. So you can kind of walk us through that that process of, of traveling with your tools. Uh, yeah, that was a. Uh big learning curve um especially i mean one thing traveling with tools but yeah it's a little bit different uh telling the tsa agent you got chainsaws on you um (laughs) but yeah you can't travel with gas tools so uh, i did have to get the client to line me up um like a decent at least 40 cc gas saw so i can block everything out um so i just brought my battery saws with me um and i was reading a bit about maximum they there's only there's a certain amount of kilowatt hours in a battery and uh to bring those on an airplane they cap out at i believe it was 160 kilowatt hours um so my husqvarna battery saw takes one big battery and so i was actually at a run out of the airport calls a friend come pick up these two batteries because they're like $400 a piece. So expensive for lithium. Um, But luckily I had a Makita and it takes two five amp hour batteries. And those ones you can bring as many as you want. Um, And all my other detail hand tools are all Makita. So I pretty much did that whole seahorse carving with just the 40 cc husqvarna saw they had lined up and then the little um battery powered makita saw so with that seahorse there's so many 
aspects of it. You know, you got the seahorse and then you got the vegetation and then you got another little couple um, fish at the bottom. Do you, and since it's so large, because this looks like it's what, seven feet tall-ish or whatever. Do you sketch out on paper what you're wanting to do ahead of time or do you just do like with the antler, you're just, um, you know, doing the Sharpie planning. You know, uh, with most of my projects, uh, whether it's antler, wood, ice, um, about two, two and a half years ago, I bought an iPad and I got Procreate and I'm absolutely in love with that program. Um, it's, it's just great. I can, take picture if a client has a log and he's two provinces over from me you can take a picture of that log send it to me i can pull that up on procreate adjust the opacity and then i just start drawing right on that piece oh wow Um, and i'll do that with antlers as well and and i can i can come up with a rough layout of something that i know is going to fit well it's so nice being able to draw an animal or something and then draw some other things. And it's like, oh, actually, I want to move that a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. And it saves so much time compared to sketching things out with paper, especially when you're emailing with clients uh, and being able to make quick design changes. Um, So, yeah, with that tree in Honduras, um, that tree actually started as 12 feet tall. And I could tell from... There's orchids growing out of the side of it and all this crazy stuff going at the top. I was like, there's, I, was, I told them, I was like, you better have a backup log. Like, cause it's, yeah. it's probably it's, rotten. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably rotten and you're flying me down there. So I would hate for me to get down there and all of a sudden I can't carve anything. Um, yeah. That actually was going to be my next question because you, you have a great video. Pretty much all the rest of your posts are static photos but that is a great video. And when I first saw it, I'm like, is that really what he ended up carving on? And then I was like, yep, sure is. Cause that it looked pretty rough. Uh, definitely pretty rough to start. Rough is an understatement. I hit, <laughs> I hit over 40 nails getting uh-uh. down oh. to that stump. I don't know what the hell the previous <laughs> owner was doing, but anywhere there was like a little knot sticking out of the tree about four inches into the wood was a nail or a screw. Wow. Um, so it took me a day and a half just to get down to that usable seven feet that was left. Day and a half and some very light heat stroke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So as far as tools go, when you go beyond um, the, the actual chainsaws, what are your other tools that you're using on a piece this large? Uh, I use a side grinder, the four and a half inch. Uh, I use a VSM abrasives, um, the ceramics. Uh, they're meant for metal working, but they work great uh, for for cleaning up the uh, saw marks. Mm. Uh, and they clean really nice too, cause they're self-cleaning on metal work. So I usually just have a chunk of steel. I keep in my toolbox oh, cool. and I just yeah. grind that to get any, get any lodged wood out of it. And then I can just go right back cause that moisture just generally clogs it up. Um, and then, yeah, I got a drill. It's got a flap sander. I got a couple homemade sander attachments I've made for it. Uh, finger sander. Sometimes I use a palm sander, not often, and then a die grinder, quarter-inch die grinder. Do you do much, like, or how, what what grit do you go to on the sanding, or do you just kind of feel it out? I mean, these pieces are outside, so a perfect finish is probably not the goal. (laughs) No, not usually. Um, I'll start, depending how sharp my chainsaw is that day, uh, I'll usually start with the 36 grit flatten everything out uh, and then I run it by with an 80 grit and 80 on a side grinder for chainsaw carvings looking pretty smooth. Um, And if I could do anything beyond that, it's like trying to create a a different sheen on a very specific part, like, like an animal's nose or, you know, just a very certain detail. 
And then you also used, uh, it looks like a little airbrushing. Do you do that on most of your outside, you know, the tall uh, chainsaw carvings, or is this kind of just for this type of piece? Uh, no, I've started adding airbrush details or um, spraying stain um, in, in most of those sculptures. Um, I used to use a tiger torch, mm. uh, but, but I found it to be too unpredictable uh, and just the burns would, it just burn, it wouldn't burn where you want it to and, you know, not burn where you wanted it to. Yeah. Now, what about finish? And then like when you put your finish on, do you also say, okay, here owner, you also need to put this on however often, or is it just kind of letting it weather? What's your normal finishing process? Yeah, finishing for outdoor chainsaw carvings, um, specifically on-site ones that are still rooted in the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It kind of differs from tree to tree, depending on how old it is, uh, how dry it is. And that's something you find out real quick once you start cutting into it. <laughs> um, but most of the time for trees that have been recently topped uh, or cut down and the stump's still there, there's a lot of moisture still inside them. Um, so that's when I recommend using a, I use Mesmer's UV plus and it's a clear weathering formula. So it has no tint in it. Uh, and that way you, you apply it a couple times, three times a season. Um, and I just, I just tell the clients, it's like looking after your skin, the more lotion you put on it, the less you're going to crack when you grow old, but, uh, it's an inevitability and, uh, it's the way of the wood. It's an organic substance. So you're just trying to mitigate that as much as you can. Um, and eventually once it's dried out, um, I, I will seal with the spar urethane, but, uh, once again, that's like a very light coat and not very often because you don't want to completely case that in. You still want the tree to be able to breathe. What an interesting warranty claim, you know, Hey, it's going <laughs> to crack eventually. You don't call me, <laughs> you know, it's uh <laughs> it's an organic substance. It's still rooted in the ground. I'm a carver, not a magician. There you go. <laughs> Cameron, we have a little segment we like to call this or that, where we give the guests uh, a question with a few different options. And this wood carving, the tree carving, lends directly to one. Uh, you carve owls, you carve bears, you've carved different birds, you've carved whales. What's your favorite animal to carve into a tree? Uh, owls. And what is it about owls that you like? Uh, I feel like there's so many possibilities within uh, the facial expression and different plumage patterns. And I feel like there's like versus something that's super realistic versus really cartoony. And I, I feel like there's so much freedom in uh, literally just... I don't look at a picture. I don't draw anything beforehand. I feel like chainsaw carving is the only thing I can legitimately say I do completely freehand where things like owls, I can just walk up to a stump and I can just, I just have fun. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to make this guy kind of pudgy and a little quirky and looking this <laughs> way or that way. And I just, I find real fun and freedom in that. That's cool, man. So you've done, different materials you've done wood we're going to talk about ice here in a little bit what's a material you haven't carved yet that you think you'd like to give a shot stone stone oh. okay yeah yeah for sure why stone kind of you know combating everything i just said about uh, the organic substance decaying in the outdoors the eventuality of it i think uh you know, it's something I respect about metal work as well as you're creating something that's going to outlast yourself. Be careful. Austin's head just grew two sizes. <laughs> I like to call it the upper echelon of makers when you come to a metal. <laughs> so working on all these substances, you have to have had an uh-oh. What's a good story you've got of just an uh-oh of a carb that went a little too far, a bird jumped a little too one way or the other what's just an uh-oh moment that you've had uh i had a little piece of ice break off one time that wasn't supposed to oh so what'd you do about that 
you know, ice. I thought you were going to say wood or something. You glued it back. How You can't yeah, glue you know, ice back. Yeah, you can, actually. Oh, it's you can. You just refreeze it. Yeah. As, soon as, it's, as long as it's cold enough, oh, you throw a little splash of water on it. Because it was so lucky because the it was a fairly large chunk, but it fell right into this nice soft pile of snow. Okay. So, so it didn't shatter. So I did just slab a scoop of water back onto the sculpture and held it wow. on there for a minute. All right, <laughs> let's keep carving. Let's keep carving. But, um, I think oh. uh, that there was actually like a, a tiny crack there. If if the temperature is a little weird or like a little bit warm when you're joining ice, it can cause fissures uh, just from that the change of temperature from the water to the air. So. Sure. All right. Then if anybody of our listeners go and check out your Instagram page, they'll see that you've got a story dedicated to your dog. And I notice y'all do a lot of tricks. So what's the your favorite trick that you and the dog have worked on? What's the pup's name? Uh, my dog's name is Ruka. And what are, what's Ruka's best trick? Um, I, I think it's more like a routine or I think of it more like a choreographed dance okay uh, but yeah we we do a lot of frisbee so um she does weave really fast which is a figure eight between my legs uh and then she'll actually jump off of my thigh and do a spin uh and then i've most recently taught her koala so i can actually get her to jump up on my back and then i can stand upright and then she has her two paws just hanging over my shoulders and uh i can actually like walk into a store like i was gonna say is that how you sneak in the movies like that (laughs) you know she she doesn't have the patience to watch movies being a border collie but uh i have gone into a store like that once before that's too funny all right so i wanted to talk to you a little bit about your ice carving and um you've got one post here where it's quite a few different ice carvings that you did and i was curious what's the process of like securing ice blocks or uh, like, how do you source that? And then, and, or how do you plan it out? Like walk us through the whole, the whole shebang. Uh, okay. Well, I'm fairly new to ice carving. I'm by no means a master. Uh, and I've been very fortunate to be introduced and, uh, welcomed to uh, a group of a few guys from another province and uh they've taught me a few things uh and there's one guy in saskatchewan who makes ice uh, and there's another guy in alberta who does it uh so it's it's kind of few and far between as far as people who make them uh but generally speaking they're 20 inch by 40 inch blocks of ice they're 150 pounds per wow uh you have what's called a gari gari it's the japanese word and it's just a piece of wood with a lot of screws running through it and two handles and you run that over the top of the ice in a figure eight pattern and that just flattens it it's just like uh mm. like a router plane i guess for ice working cool mm. um and then yeah once you have your two flat edges splash of water drop your next piece of ice on and then if it's cold enough, that freezes pretty much instantly. Um, so it's pretty nice coming from woodworking and you're standing around waiting for glue up times, but, uh, you know, it goes pretty quick. So you said that, uh, with your chainsaw carving, typically you don't draw it out. Is that the same with ice? Like, I guess there is no real way that you can draw it on the piece. Uh, you know, that's something cool about ice carving that I really like is um, being able to come up with the design uh, really before, like totally, totally different from carving a log um, is that you can just build. It's like Lego. You just use you, you stack all the blocks to fit the general shape of what you want to make. Um, so there's just a lot of freedom there, depending how how good you are at joining all the blocks together. And then what about your tool selection? Is it, is it the same as, um, the wood carving or do you have specialty tools for ice? Um, fairly similar. Uh, I have one chainsaw I use for ice carving. Um, it's corded, uh, as opposed to the battery saws I use for, uh, wood carving. 
the corded saw is just better when it's minus 30 because batteries don't last that long. Oh, true. Um, and then uh, I've customized the chain. Uh, so that's very specific to ice carving, uh, which is I, I file the rakers behind the teeth all the way down. And, and that just hogs through the ice so much faster and cleaner. Um, but uh, if you ever touch that chain onto a piece of wood, that chainsaw would go flying over your shoulder because the kickback would just be crazy. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I also use a die grinder, um, sometimes a side grinder, but uh, running chisels across ice is still the most satisfying thing I have ever done. It's <laughs> especially coming from wood carving. It's just so effortless and so satisfying um yeah that's cool and i noticed a lot of the animals not all of them but a lot of them are kind of like aquatic animals do you feel more drawn to those animals with the uh with the ice uh yeah i feel like a lot of that uh, throughout my work has a lot of aquatic inspiration um i used to travel quite extensively and, uh, did some time, uh, in Thailand. I did my dive master program out there. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in the ocean. I've got hundreds of dives in, uh, I used to lead dives while I was there. I've done wreck dives. I, I just, yeah, I love the ocean. I uh, lived in Australia for a while. I was big into surfing during that time. So, um, anytime somebody mentions something that ocean they inspired, yeah. yeah. You going to yeah. go underwater and carve a coral reef or anything? Ah, uh, no, no. I helped plant a coral reef when I was in Thailand back in the day. That's cool. We have one question that we like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast and it's our three tools question. So if you were going to just start out carving again and there was going to be three tools that you would, you know, purchase, what would be the three that you would pick? Uh, probably a bandsaw. Because no regrets there. I love my bandsaw. Um, I think I would have to do a chainsaw. This is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a tool junkie. I don't know. How do you live without a table saw? I like, I just can't even fathom it. Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably say a bandsaw, a chainsaw, and a table saw. House of saws. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Cameron, it's been really awesome getting to know you. You are a very talented maker. Why don't you tell our audience where they can find you? Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. Uh, it's been really nice talking with some fellow makers. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, on my website. They're all KG Woodcraft. It's nice talking to you, man. Take care. All right. Ciao. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a minute to thank the folks over at Patreon for helping us out here. Uh, we got Marion Ward from Creative Ward Gallery, Vincent Ferrari from Digitally Creative, Justin from Bear Maked, Scott Oram from Dad It Yourself, Matthew from Artigino Sorio, Marcel Este, and Ozark Spirit. And then in our middle tier, we've got Tony Langer from Langerworks, Brendan McDonough from McDonough Design, Susan Demplantis from Hearth and Garden Art, Stephanie Taddeo, and Kyle with Footwork Woodworking. All right, guys. So I wanted to talk to you about using non-traditional materials and uh, some projects that you guys have done with something that you don't typically see people like on Instagram working with. Kind of like how our guest was using antlers and stuff. Exactly. Um, the first thing I think of, I mean, I've, I've never done bone or antlers or anything like that that I'm going to tell the police about. But uh, whenever we did our chess pieces, I wanted I made a rook and I wanted rock in there somehow. And so I picked up some... Um, and this is illegal too. I think I picked up some rocks off the railroad tracks. It is. Yes. And, uh, yeah. But just like two. So it's maybe a <laughs> misdemeanor. And I tried to carve those and that ship's hard. Like I couldn't do anything with it. It was just too hard. Wait, so, it, you mean it was like hard as a rock? Hard as a rock. Who would have thunk it? Huh? And so then I, um, I went to Lowe's and I bought just some tile. So some rock tile that was already cut flat on one side. So I had a good, at least one surface I could kind of start with. And I went through two. Oh, I think I tried a piece of limestone after and that did okay. But in I'd get right where I wanted it to be and then it would crumble or like, you know, just it wasn't the right consistency. So I ended up getting I went and bought individual tiles and I bought like three different types and just kept messing until I found one that I could cut with a saw to get straight lines, but was still soft enough that I could use a file to shape it. 
And uh, it was an adventure, just, you know, not like wood or, or metal or whatever, you know, working with stone like that. Yeah, that's cool to stretch it. What uh, what tools did you find that worked the best with it? Was like yeah. files or? Yeah, files I had the most success with. A lot of it was just because uh, I didn't know what I wanted to look like in the end. And so I could just sit there with a file and you could really, if you have enough files, you can get a thin one and get a nice sharp relief. And then when you're bigger files, they had, you know, a place to ride or a groove to stay in. And that let me do the shaping. But, you know, it definitely wasn't the first one I used. After I found the stone that worked the best, I think I ended up making three caps because I wanted, I needed like a mounting point because it couldn't be flush on flush metal. So I needed something to recess the metal into so I could use some epoxy. And what I ended up doing was taking a saber tooth uh, burr like you know, one oh, of those yeah. burrs, put it in my drill press around a uh, ball and use that to kind of ream out. And those things, it would just get caked with rock. And I'd go wash it and I'd take a brass brush, scrub it out, go do it again. And so that that was kind of trial and error too. That probably wasn't the right tool for that, but it was the best tool I had. I tried mm. to do some, um, I've got some metal burrs too to like deburr the inside of pipe or something. And they were too aggressive. And uh, it, it was it was interesting, you know, really testing. But the file were the best tools I used. Anything with small teeth, the rock would clog and gum up super quick. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if, uh, like, if I'm in a file, real gummy material, I'll use a piece of chalk. And sometimes that'll stop the, uh, like, for aluminum, it'll, it'll stop aluminum from sticking in a file. I wonder if it would do the same. Or that's kind of like rock. So it might just make it clog fa faster <laughs> who knows but that's pretty cool it's uh yeah. i think that it would be cool to try like some marble like i always imagine like was it michelangelo that carved david i think that's yeah. what it is and sure. uh did you imagine getting like 98 percent done you're like let me just fix this one well spot. i think that's what happened <laughs> he his his junk was probably a little more pronounced and he just you know tried to get a little too much <laughs> veins in there and it chopped it you know yeah, Nippy, but back snippy. then they didn't have tea, and he couldn't boost tea either. Yep. <laughs> you should try some marble one day. That'd be neat. What I'll about y'all? What What are some other materials y'all tried? Well, I haven't tried, but I do want to do. I want to do a knife with a deer antler handle. Handle. Mm. Um, and actually, I mean, my dad. He's you know we hunt. We've got deer antlers. We got deer hanging on the wall. We got you know all of that kind of thing. Um, and then some of the smaller antlers or even some of the bigger antlers that we're not going to have uh, hanging on the wall like my dad's got. He shot a real nice one a couple of years ago. And so I told him to hang on to those antlers because I want to make knives or a knife um, with it. So that's something that is in the in the potential works. But um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to give that a try. And even my ex-husband had mentioned it to me once before about making him one along that line too. So, you know, you learn on, if I've got a couple to make, I like that idea because then I can, you know, I can do my ex-husband's first and then I can, you know, do my dad's second. <laughs> there you go. What, uh, what kind of knife do you think fits having a, you know, stag horn or whatever they're called? Well, I think um, I would do the hidden tang rather than a, than the flat um, okay. rather than a full tang. Um, that would be my first try first. I think You're I would do go like with a hunt, that. like a hunting, like a yes. skinning oh, knife definitely. Or yes. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. a skin and I, because like the antlers that my dad has, it will be a handful. You know what I mean? Cause I would use the base, the bottom. I was just going to ask that. I, yeah, I don't like the knives and they look good, but when it ends at the point, I feel like it's asking to slip out your hand. Yeah. No, I like the idea of using it to where like, where the base of the antler connects to the skull, there's usually like a catch, you know, yeah, there's a little extra. Like a yeah. There's a little extra there. So if, if it's removed properly, that can really be used as a good, you know, end of the handle. Um, and then usually depending on, of course, the, the deer and, and all those kind of things, usually it's got a, like a curve in it enough to where that right. would be a really nice, comfortable fit in your hand. So, um, so that's just definitely something 
I'd like to try and uh, see how it goes. Now, of course, I've heard it smells god awful terrible. Oh, whenever yeah. you well, yeah, I was say Austin, you've got experience with that, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I've done I've done pens out of different types of antler, and um, that they smell awful. Antler just smells bad. <laughs> it smells yeah. like hair or something, burnt yeah. hair or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course I've done the mammoth tooth which smells even worse. Like I didn't think that there was anything worse smelling than antler until I did that. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like old rotten antler. Yeah. Just, Oh, it's so awful. And, uh, (laughs) I have no desire to do it again. Like maybe if I had one of those masks, like you got like the space helmets, like you guys got no, because it sucks in. That's not a, that's a particulate filter, not a, smell filter oh it's not it doesn't have charcoal filters no and let me tell you how i know non-traditional material the bottom of my glowforge so i cut the bottom out the glowforge it's plastic i used an oscillating cutter so i'm basically melting the plastic wearing that mask sucking melted plastic fumes directly across my breathing zone oh man (laughs) huge they don't have where you can get organ they gotta have that they may but that's not what it's designed for not for there are actually probably not for that filters Right. Because they have the ones that... with the hose and the separate air pack. Oh, right. oh, I thought that's what you... Oh, yeah, yours are on top. No, our filters are yeah. built in. It's all in one. Okay. Like a Thanos. You know, a uh, a non-traditional material I thought would be cool to get Austin to make a pin out of or something? Uh, the museum here is doing a fundraiser, and they have replicas of Tyrannosaurus Rex teeth. Ooh. I was like, oh, that'd be cool to do something with, with that, like a big dinosaur tooth. Yeah. We... uh. Speaking of non-traditional material, I, uh, or actually, actually it is traditional material. The, the, the farmers plowed the fields here. I don't know if I talked about this already. Arrowheads. Yeah. And, uh, but my brother-in-law just, he just bought a sand pit, like, uh, like where they're digging like, like a hundred and something feet down, getting all this ancient sand dune sand for building, you know, houses and stuff. And I want to go walk through his sand pit because there's definitely megalodon teeth in there. Like, you know, there's no doubt there's megalodon teeth that far down. Yeah. And uh, so I've been like asking him, like, I'm like, hey, have you have you found any yet? And he's like, dude, no, it's like, I'm not. Lo-. I'm like, you got to look because I want one of these things. Did y'all so, find a lot of shark teeth when you would surf and stuff? No, no. It's, I mean, you can find them, but I'm not. I'm not. De- I'm deep when I'm surfing. You know, I'm not in the, yeah. in the sand and stuff. I've I hate got the one. sand. I have a geologist that we used to use at a previous job and he, he lived in Virginia. And so they would go on the beach and look for, so he'd always bring me fossils back whenever he'd come to Texas to do work. And so he brought me a shark tooth. I've got another, like a fish and a piece of slate or something um, that I dropped one time and I super glued it back together. And and he brought me some crystals or something, but I've got three or four fossils he brought. That's really neat stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I found a bunch of, you know, sand dollars, all, all kinds of stuff like that. But the, um, actually I used a sand dollar one time that I found in a, a surfboard fin, like I oh, resin cool. yeah, it yeah, into the fin. Right. Yeah. That'd yeah. be cool. Um, I've done a bunch of, you know, weird, weird shit casting resin back in the day before it was cool, before everybody was putting dead stuff in resin. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I want to find something like that. And then, um, we went to this, um, like maritime muse- or uh, marine museum down in Manio, North Carolina. And they had this huge, it would look like a fire pit. And they just, um, it must've been some offshore site where they were digging up, um, look, look like pea gravel sort of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they would dump it in there and there was a sign and it was like, there's shark teeth in here. And it's, it was like a hiding, hide, like, like a, Try to find it. The kids are trying to find right. it. Right. Oh, yeah. crazy because they were fossilized shark teeth. So we went over there and nobody is finding shark teeth. Nobody. And I was wearing my um, polarized bomber glasses, like mm-hmm. my the brand bomber. And I could just, the difference in stone and fossilized tooth when you're wearing polarized glasses was like great. Like, I could instantly wow. see every shark tooth. And so I just started pulling shark teeth out and everybody's like, how the hell are you? Cause everything looks black to them. Right. And I'm like, how can you guys not see this? Like, I didn't realize it was the glasses making the difference. And so I'm pulling out like 20, 30 shark teeth, you know, they're small 
Right. And uh, I'm showing my kids. I'm like, check this one out. Check this one out. And all the kids around are like, they're all like freaking out. They're like trying to dig where I'm digging. I'm like, they're literally everywhere. Kids like just spread out. Like, just look, why can't you see it? And then I took off my glasses and I was like, oh, I know why you can't see it because everything looks the same now. So it was pretty wild. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear feedback from you. So reach out to us on Instagram at making our way podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. I'm at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy is at Twisted Twine Woodworking. And Dean is at Dean underscore Duplantis. Thanks again, friends. We also want to thank our folks over on the first tier of Patreon. We got Jacob from Griffin Makes, Jacob from Other Dog Design, Keith Drennan from Blackthorn Concepts, Eric from Overall Makerworks, Jeff Stein, a weird guy, Dave Bauer, Caitlin Landrino, Morley Kurt, Greg from Platte Belly Woodworks, The Grant Alexander, Jen Griffin, The Black Sheep, Brian from Moonshine Leatherworks, The Makeshift Podcast, Maritime Knife Supply, Just My DIY, Henry at HT1 Metalworks, Brad Harrison from Brad's Customs, Steve Delaney from One Old School Pirate, Kelsey Watson, Dan Gallagher from Goofballs by Dan, Chris Powell from Full Steam Design, and Spaghetti and Waffles.